0: Welcome back to Out the Gate, the podcast about sailing and adventure on and around San Francisco Bay. My guest this week spends a lot of time hanging out about 40 to 50 feet above the decks of sailboats on San Francisco Bay. Ryan Nelson is the owner of Rogue Rigging, a business he started as a full-service mobile rigging shop that he could take to marinas all over the Bay Area. Today, Ryan has a more permanent shop set up at the Berkeley Marine Center, and that's where we recorded this interview just before the shelter-in-place order went into effect. Ryan's been sailing and working on boats since he was a really young kid. He raced all through college and still races almost every weekend on a bunch of different boats here in San Francisco Bay. Full disclosure here, Ryan replaced the standing rigging on my 35-foot sloop, a uh, couple of months ago. He did a great job. He took a lot of care and interest in the project and was happy to spend time answering my questions and making suggestions as I tried to figure out what I wanted. This is a fun interview, so let's jump right into it.
1: Alright, I'm uh, Ryan Nelson. I'm a rigger and uh, we're in my rig shop which is in the back corner of the berkeley marine center so it's hard to find me but uh i'm there and it's my little empire back here in the corner i love it i'm sitting here
0: staring at spools of wire and rope and blocks on the wall here soft shackles it's just like you said it's a candy store
1: yeah. It's bad, it's bad to work in a candy it is, shop. It is bad <laughs> to work in the candy store, especially when you have a couple of your own boats. So what do you have? Let's start there. What boats do you have? Well, I'm going to start out with that I, I'm admitting that I have a problem. <laughs> okay. Okay. And my, my wife is well aware of it and, and is supportive of it, but uh, I have four boats. She's an enabler. No, she's not. <laughs> but she, she knew what she was getting into ah, when right. she married me. Ah, so right. I've I've had four. Four boats at the moment. Okay. I, so, first boat, we'll start small, go mm-hmm. big. Yeah. First boat is a laser. Okay. Um, Very active in the laser fleet racing here for years and years. So, I've got that. And then second boat is a 505. So, 16-foot carbon fiber, two-person planing dinghy. Um, so, I race that. Cool. And then third boat is uh, at the other end of the world. Is a, It's a columbia 5.5 meter okay so it's uh don't think of a columbia okay think of like a 12 meter yacht like uh-huh. racing yeah 12 meter except for it's 33 feet long so oh. flush deck wow um yeah full keel and uh, we've got 11 of them over in the oakland estuary that we race on every week basically in the winter time in the summer time we take like a couple months off a year basically is that kind of your primary racing boat um, <laughs> they all are. My they primary, are. No, uh, yeah, that's the, that's the family racer cruiser. Okay. You know, I get the kids out on that yeah. every week and, uh, and that's just, just fun, close racing with fun, you know, good group. Yeah. And, uh, and it's nice and mellow because we're in the estuary. Right. So it's the other side of it instead of, you know, being out 25 knots, you know, on the tides and everything, you got the nice mellow t-shirt sailing in the estuary. Nice. Nice. And then. The fourth. No. The fourth boat. Um, it's uh, I'm, I'm in a partnership with my best friend on it, so it's the only way I could pull this one off um, or justify it. But um, it is a mini Transat. So wow. it's a 21-foot um, boat that's built specifically for doing a single-handed race from France to saint martinique or you know in the caribbean so that's the transatlantic race for the these mini boats and they're 6.5 meters and uh these guys race them every two years um across atlantic as well as they race year-round but um very popular in europe uh, two questions pop to mind where do you
0: come across this boat here on the West Coast?
1: <laughs> so, yeah. So there's there's probably about five of them on the five mini transats on the West Coast. Okay. And um, this one actually has been here for 20 years here in the boatyard. Oh, wow. So I first saw it um, just over 20 years ago at my very first college regatta, which was literally like 100 yards to my right, <laughs> which is kind of weird full circle that I'm back here. But my first college regatta was right here. And in between races, I wandered the boatyard because I'm addicted to walking through boatyards, and uh, and I was like, "What is that thing? the spaceship-looking boat?" And my buddy, he's like, "I think that's a mini transat." I'm like, "What is that?" And you know, you look at it, and you, you know, it's, it does. It looks like it's out of this world. And yeah. uh, so I've you know stared at that thing for 20 years. It's been sitting here basically rotting away in the boatyard, and the owner has taken out a handful of times in those 20 years and and uh and last year uh, my buddy and i we were able to buy it off this guy wow so and now we're this week hopefully it'll be launched for the first time we're just finishing a full restoration we've done everything keel off every nut and bolt's been off the boat we flipped the boat over we took it down to bare carbon we we spent weeks if not months fairing the hull and wow so and so, um, i'm assuming almost all this done yourself yeah yeah with some help you know the great thing about berkeley marine center is that there's tons of resources of people yeah. here and so you know i'm not a boat painter so you know i did uh, luther my boat partner we did all the sanding and everything and then we let julio the painter here do all the final touches and the actual spraying and, uh, and he's actually going to be here today to do the last little like, couple square feet around the bottom of the keel today <laughs> so that we can sail this next week. And what is the plan with
0: it was my second question.
1: Um, we, um, yeah, so that's a good question. So we, um, when I first moved into the shop here uh, just over a year ago, um, Cree, the owner, he's an enabler. And, you know, if you run an idea by Amiga, you, you know, and my, you know, I've always wanted to build my own boat. And I see that he's building his own big boat to race to Hawaii. And, and I go, Cree, you know, I want to build my own boat. You know, I've always wanted to do it. And I've got this whole checklist of things that it's got to be able to do. And, uh, and he's like, yeah, put it together. We'll talk to Jim Antrim and, and we'll make it happen. You know, and so I, you know, we go down that path and I'm talking to all my sailing, all my racing buddies. I'm like, all right. It's got to be able to handle San Francisco Bay. It's got to be able to handle the steep chop, 25-30 knots on the city front. Yeah. And we got to have smiles on our face. I'm I'm sick of going slow and being covered, in, you know, in salt spray and not going fast. Yeah. And uh and so, you know, we're trying to, you know, oh, it's got to uh, – I, l- I love that spec. I got to have a sp- smile on my face when I'm racing this boat. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's that's why I've we heard. do it, yeah. you know, and I've yeah. raced on big boats for most of my life now, and and, uh, and and tons of dinghies. And so I've got this like idea in my head what could be the perfect boat. So I started drawing up designs and running some questions by Jim Antrim. And uh, meanwhile, I'm parking my car in the parking lot here next to this mini Transat that's been sitting here riding away. And then all of a sudden, one day, I'm like, wait a second. What about this boat? And I'm like, this boat? This boat could be the boat if it can handle the Atlantic, cruising across the Atlantic solo. It, it can handle San Francisco Bay, and so, I mean that remains to be seen. But uh, yeah, but it should be able to handle it. But you think it checks most of the boxes? It checks all the boxes. Yeah. I mean, it, it can handle the the chop. It can blast around the bay at you know high teens, and nobody has to be hanging over the rail, bending themselves. What in is math. the ballast on? It's a nine hundred pound canting keel. Okay. So this boat, yeah, to kind of wow. paint a picture of this thing, it's 21 feet, mm-hmm. it weighs 2,000 pounds, um, the keel is 900 of those pounds, <laughs> and that sticks off on a six-and-a-half-foot long um, fin, uh-huh. and then so that can'ts right around 45 degrees, a little bit more than we're, we're going to see. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we'll <yeah>. see. <laughs> you know, well, now we just got the keel back in the boat a couple weeks ago, but uh, it's got twin rudders. Uh-huh twin dagger boards, wow. and then a 41-foot carbon mast. You know, we just picked up the sails this past week, so we had some new sails made up because we're, we're, we're doing this right, yeah. as, as right as we can afford to do, but uh, we're doing it right, not cutting any corners, but our uh, mainsail has a square top on it, and the top batten is like four and a half feet long. So you have dual backstays, running backs? Yeah, it's got running backs so dual running backs with with two check stays on each running back um yeah it's a handful. i'm excited to see this <laughs> so it, it's an absolute it's going to be a handful it's it's a beast the the this it's got a bow sprit that sticks out 10 feet from the boat Wow. Oh. um is the 21 feet inclusive of that yeah so it stays within the the 21 feet and so the sprit actually rotates around and it and it stays within the box of the boat so wow. you can have a twenty-one foot long pole if you wanted to, as long as it stays within the box of the transom and the and the, the beam of the boat. Huh. So we, tr- you know, we went with the conservative, ten foot, and uh, um, everybody else in the yard they're like, oh, that's too small, that's too small, and like you know, now we've got the pole on there, and you you extend the pole, and you go, okay, that's big enough. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm sitting there. The original pole was five and a half feet. Mm -hmm. So we've kind of gone up a little bit, yeah. Nice. And and to back up a little bit, this boat has done the Transat four times. Oh, okay. So it's a proven boat. It was designed by Mark Lombard, who's a a famous French designer that is still designing fast uh, monoholes for, you know, a bunch of crazy French guys that want to go really fast. Yeah. What oh, year sure. is that? So the, it's in 89. 89, okay. So And it was ahead of its time. I And as far as our research has shown and where Luther and I are, are learning French by constantly, like, <laughs> you know, Learn. there's not a lot of information. There's not a lot of resources out there. and yeah. and, uh, and the French don't want to share a lot of information because, you know, it's a very competitive fleet. And, and yeah. so they a lot of them don't even put Windexes on the top of their masts because they don't want... You to be able to look with binoculars and to see what direction the wind's coming from so they're very like protective of that sort of a thing wow so uh but we luckily uh, you know the sailing community is small yeah and i have uh, um our sail maker um sylvain uk sales he's been around the boats. He helped build the boats back in the day, oh. and uh, and he designs the sails already. And so that's why he was our, our go-to guy. Yeah, to design the sails for us. And then I've got this guy Jerome with that works with NKE that used to build the mini transats down in Southern California.
0: Oh, perfect.
1: So so they've you know been really good resources that we constantly are you know, emailing back and forth, and we're like, what do you think we should do about this? And, you know, so we bounce ideas off of them. and That's great, because you always have a million little questions. Oh, that? yeah. I mean, there's a ton of photos, and, and Luther and I are up late at night, and my wife gives me a hard time, but we're constantly, you know, like, sending pictures of, of mini transats, and we're like, what do you think about how their spritz attached? And look at those spreaders, and so... And uh, and it's bad, you know. And like yeah. I finally, I was like Luther, we got to stop sending these pictures to each other. We just gotta just finish our boat, you know. So, yeah. so it's pretty funny, but it's been a great process, and we're getting there. That's awesome. Well, congrats on almost having her in the water. So. But yeah, as far as the, we're just gonna race it here locally, okay, and then maybe work towards some offshore stuff um, once we figure out how to tame the beast. So let's jump back. Let's start with how you got into sailing where'd that start? Yeah. Um, so when, uh, I, I grew up or I lived in Idaho till I was 10. Okay. And, uh, uh, when I was about five or six, my parents got a Montgomery 15, which is uh-huh. a little lap straight hole looking, it's a fiberglass boat. Um, but it's, uh, it's a little trailer sailor, a little compact trailer sailor with a cabin and a little sloop rig. And, uh, my parents had their Westphalia van and we dragged that boat all nice. over Idaho and, and Oregon and my parents would be like, Hey, there's a boat ramp there or there's there's a reservoir, let's see if we can sail there and you know, we'd <laughs> camp in the camp in the camper and, and then go sailing and And how many of you were there aboard? So uh, my sister and I okay. and then my parents and, and, uh, so you, know, you know, to understand. me, I like, I keep thinking, I'm like, it had to have been the 17 the footer at least. And my dad's like, no, it's a 15. <laughs> it's like, God, things seem huge. He's like, yeah, you were five, you know, <laughs> you didn't know anything. Did yeah. You? I didn't know. And, you know, and then, so we'd sail there and then, uh, there was a reservoir pretty close to our house that my dad and his buddies would go sailing in the summertime all the time. And, you know, they hand me some snacks and I go down below and either pass out or stick my head up and, and just got a feel for being on a boat and they always were pushing the boat hard and i, I just remember always looking out the portal window and and, and uh, looking for fish you know and like, yeah. you know my dad and his buddies you, you see any fish yet and they're like sheeting a little bit more they're like, how about now and i'm like no, i don't see any," but, you know <laughs> meanwhile my sister's probably screaming at them to, to knock it off but um, but yeah so <laughs> oh, that's man. where it started um and then when we we moved to california when i was 10 and uh, we moved to Davis, and in Davis, where we moved, there's a uh, lake um, that the neighborhood's built around where we, where we moved to. And, and it was a lake built for sailing. Okay. And meaning that it's eight feet deep, and, and it um, is angled perfectly, so the prevailing summer delta breeze blows along it so that you can, you know, tack up and down it. And, That's and, great. And sail around with ease. And, and so... They had this lake there and what ended up happening is that I had this is adventurous side of me and I grew up in the in Idaho we were out in the out in the not in the boonies but we're out in the agricultural land out there yeah. far away from town so I was able to just roam free yeah and uh, get then also yeah go. get on your bike or just just wander around and be back by sundown and so yeah. then I came to California to Davis and it was like there's sidewalks what are these you know and uh it was a little bit confined but then i discovered the lake and it was like be back by sundown and so you know we go and explore and try and make rafts and stuff and uh, and i i was determined to sail
0: that's, that's what really i found, interesting
1: what i found and and my parents um they wanted me to learn and uh I was desperate for a boat, a sailboat, and somehow I came up with this crazy idea is I took three logs like you would throw in your fireplace, like whatever, 12-inch in diameter by, you know, like 18 inches, and I made an A-frame out of 2x4s and and, bolted these logs to this, to this like, A-frame structure uh-huh. and made a mast out of... Uh, um, tree you know those tree poles those that you the tree stakes that you yeah like an eight yeah, foot yeah. tree stake mm-hmm. and uh tied that tied, you know made rigging because uh, i was in the boy scouts and i knew how to tie knots and so i did some taut line hitches and secured the masts. and then my mom taught me how to sew on a sewing machine and i made a square rig sail for the thing that's awesome and uh and then i Convinced one of my friends to help me uh, get it on top of my radio flyer, you know, your little red wagon. And I dragged it through the neighborhood with the mast and the sail. Up. How old were you at this age? I at was 11, time? I think. 11. Yeah, I was okay. like 11. And, uh, and I dragged it down to this lake and they had this boat ramp, but no boats. Boat ramp and, and uh, it's a private lake um, for the, the neighborhood. And, you know, I launched this thing. And everybody's going, like, thing's not going to float and thing's not going to sail. And I was like, no, this thing's going to work. And uh, sure enough, I figured out, I taught myself, uh, you know, kind of how to sail out there. And I just... Downwind, at least, I would imagine. Da- well, I figured out how to go upwind. <laughs> really? it You know, you know wow. it was a slow process, especially yeah. with three logs dragging in the water. You know, I wasn't breaking any speed records, but but I was able to uh, to sail up and down the lake. That's and fantastic. Then, yeah. And then my, you know, I think, you know, my parents probably felt bad for me. And they're like, all right. Yeah, like, this kid really wants to sail. And so, you know, they found a, a boat in the newspaper for, you know, pretty cheap. It's a little 13-foot ghost, a little kind of like an FJ, but not a um, little 13-foot sailboat sloop. And uh, then my dad taught me how to sail. Like, you know, here's the tiller, you know, and here's how we go. And so, and that's when I really was like, all right, this is how you sail. And uh, And then from there, it was just like, you couldn't keep me away from the lake. That's yeah. incredible. And, and you
0: just kept doing it. You did it in I school. just kept doing
1: it. Oh, yeah. I just I kept going. And um, so we had that boat for a couple of years. And then I really wanted to uh, uh, – this started more of my addiction, what I call like uh, um, the way how I've acquired all the boats that I have – um, I could not afford that. <laughs> um, yeah. I did it by basically trading up. Yeah. So um, I had that ghost <laughs> for a long time, but the, I started my little side gig of I found a, an El Toro
0: okay. in my
1: neighbor's um, side yard, and I think I bought it for $50 or something, you know, saved up some money, bought it for $50, and it's a wood. Um, it's like an El Toro, but, a, you know, it's a Sabbath and this was a, a U.S. Sabbath. Okay. So it's got the dagger board, not the lee boards got it brought this thing back and and i learned how to my dad taught me how to refinish the wood and then learned how to fiberglass because the fiberglass was splitting so i learned how to do that learned how to paint the boat so i painted this boat and i sailed it a little bit and then uh, somebody was like hey you, is that thing for sale it looks great and i was like yeah so i think i sold it for 200 or 400 or something like that
0: make a nice profit
1: and then yeah you know so i made some profit off of that and then i Put it towards either putting a spinnaker on my on my uh, 13-foot Ghost because I was obsessed with going faster, uh-huh. and I got a laser. I found a, there was a laser that was abandoned at the club. Is that the same laser you still no, have? No, no, but okay. I did sail that boat for 10 years, that, that laser. Oh. So I had that laser, and then in college, um, I was at Cal Poly on the sailing team there, at some point in time during one of our sailing team practices a woman came up to us after practice she said any of you want to buy a boat and you know i'm going <laughs> i could use a boat you know i'm in college <laughs> you know <laughs> sailing fjs all day is you know is not enough and so uh, this woman she's like yeah come meet me at the dry storage and uh and there's this little cal 21 it's a little trailer sailor swing keel it's not like a cal 20 like that we see here like the flat right. toppers this is uh It's a good looking little sloop boat. I checked it out. The sails are there. Everything's there. And I was like, Well, how much do you want for this thing? She's like, That was a $100 sound. And I was like, What? With the trailer, the sails, everything. Everything's all there. And I'm like, She's like, Yeah, it's just that we've been paying rent on this thing for the past 15 years. It needs to go. And I was like, Do you take a check? You know, I was, you know, and uh, I was like, can I get a ride to a phone or, you know, can I, um, is there a phone around here? So I could call (laughs) up my buddy, my only friend who had a truck in college and that could handle towing this thing. And then, and so, uh, he shows up and I was like, check it out. I got us a boat, you know? And so then it turned into this, we are going to race this thing. And, uh, and that's where my wife, she put up with a lot of punishment of racing with me and uh, and on this boat what did you guys meet in college or? we did meet in college okay. yeah we met in college and she knew from the get go you know like the first week that we were together i was like hey i got to go i got a college regatta in long beach or you know or the, i've got a 505 regatta up in san francisco i got to go run to and so she'd come along and she discovered that if she wanted if she was going to hang out with me on the weekends she had to go sailing yeah uh, bless her heart she gets uh, seasick uh, and I used to drag her out on big boats racing out of Morro Bay. Um, sounds like she was a trooper. She was a trooper, and then uh, and then I got this little twenty-one foot sailboat, and I was convinced we could race this thing offshore. You know, I was in college. You know, we we're gung ho, and you know my buddies are like, Ryan knows what he's doing. Yeah, let's let's race with Ryan on this boat. And so it was my wife and two other of my buddies, and we go race this twenty-one footer offshore in Morro Bay. Looking back at it, it was probably some of the craziest sailing that I've done, because you know most people that travel up and down the coast know that Morro Bay is not something to take lightly. You know, we'd see the small craft warning flags go up, and we'd be like, "We it was gotta like a go. go!" Flag for you, yeah, it's the go flag, and the and the Coast Guard station was right there. It's right there at the spit, and they would. Um, they knew they knew us yeah and they were like oh it's those guys we'll keep an eye on them but they're more than capable and we go out there and blast through the big waves that are breaking into the you know into the breakwater and then we turn around and surf the waves you know go screaming by the coasties in their big cutter that can be turned over and everything and we give them the thumbs up, turn around, and go back out, and you know they get a kick out of it. Did you have any close calls out there? We never had any close calls. Oh, You knew what you were doing. We knew what we were doing, but yeah, we—I mean—we were doing the offshore racing with this little 21-footer, and yeah. we'd borrow a VHF radio and we borrowed an outboard from the junior program, and so that we'd be race legal. We'd hear over the radio and be like, "Anybody seen Sea Monkey?" And because the swells are so big, and we disappear because our mass was. I don't know, 30 feet tall. And yeah. like we disappear in the swells. And then we pop back up. And they're like, we see sea monkey. You know, and like, they're alive. And you know, and then racing would continue. And we we're going it's a couple miles And offshore. your wife's on board for all this. My wife's on board. Wow. Girlfriend at the time, but yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, we had some hairy moments where we're bucking off of waves. And I still have the image in my head of I was driving. She was doing the jib. And then I had my two buddies that were basically holding on to the handrails on the cabin top. help keep the boat flat that didn't have any reef points or anything we had a smaller jib we put up and we were going off the crests of waves and she would go flying in the air and then you know one of us one of our jobs is to grab her life jacket in midair and put her back down on the the seat on the lazarette and one of the times she went completely airborne and just landed in the cockpit and she's like i'm just gonna stay down here until this part's done we're like yeah as soon as we get around the top mark we'll be going downwind be all good but yeah, there are some crazy moments like that where I look back and I'm like, "Yeah, we probably shouldn't have been out there in that little boat." Not gonna be long before your kids are wanting to do this. Yeah, your boys. Yeah. Your they, they're, they're loving it. Um, I've always told myself that I'm not gonna force them to yeah. do something they don't want to do, and I'm sticking to that. And so, and they know that I sail all the time, and they have discovered if they want to come and hang out with Dad, they gotta go sailing. So. Yeah. And this five point five meter is perfect for it because I can have myself and two other adults, and then the kids are either helping us sail or they're down below, and there's not really a down below. There's the bow on that boat, and they that's kind of like their cave, and they hang out and read and bring Legos or whatever. They're up yeah. there, and they they always sing. They stick their heads up at the most inopportune times, though. It's usually at the the spinnaker douse, and there's you know three or four boats wide, and they're like, hey, what's what's going on up here? And we're like, ah, you know, like. One minute, guys. Let's get the spinnaker down. What's the spinnaker? Like, the thing that's coming at you right now. You know, so they're learning and they're loving <laughs> it. Learning through osmosis. Yeah. yeah. And Yeah. That's so correct. they get out there. I mean, uh, on in the wintertime, we race. How old are they right now? Uh, so five and eight. Okay. Five and eight. Yeah. yeah. So, so the 8 year olds about time for junior program. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, we're at, uh, members of Ensign Yacht Club. Okay. That's where we keep the boat. And uh, um, if he wants to do it we we'll let them do it but i don't want to force yeah. that upon them and, and and i also don't want somebody else to ruin sailing for them right if somebody's going to ruin sailing for them it's going to be me <laughs> you know uh, that's my worry that's, yeah no
0: that's i think that's a, a valid worry they'll have their own passions and maybe sailing may not
1: yeah yeah and well and, and they right now they they seem to they seem to love it you know the 5 year old just loves dragging his hand in the water yeah um you know which is pretty typical but he'll grab the tiller and we'll we'll let him drive the boat to the race course and yeah. the older one he uh thomas he he's anxious to get in there and so we've the two of us have sailed uh thomas and i and we've we've won a couple uh nice. days of racing the two of us and uh and he loves it when it's just the two of us out there i bet and you know he knows how to tack. He knows he knows that stuff, and so I'm just we're trying to work on the bow stuff so that he can he can get up on the bow and be doing the spinnaker pole. So, when did the idea of oh well, I love sailing.
0: I want to be around boats. Maybe I can make a go at
1: have my own business in this world. Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I so. <laughs> Talk about this, uh, I'll back up just a second. So my yeah. former life, I call it my former life. So I was uh, an art um, student. Okay. So I've got a master's in art, and I was a metal sculptor, and uh, and and my goal was to be an art professor. When I was in grad school, I obviously still had my boat addiction, and uh, and my wife kept saying, you know, you spend so much time at going into, into West Marine to get stuff, you know, you should just get a job there you know, yeah. part-time job. And, and, and I thank her for that because that's what sparked it is that I, you know, I'd work a couple days a week there at the West Marine and this was up in Sacramento and there's okay. not a lot of people that are knowledgeable about sailboats up there. And all of a sudden, you know, people found out that I knew what I was talking about with sailboats and how to fix them. And, and so, you know, I had customers that would come and bring their boats to the parking lot and then I would sell them all this stuff. And then, after hours, I'd go out there and help them put it all on their, their boat. And the store manager at the West Marine was like, hey, you know, we've got a rig shop down in Alameda and that you could work there. You know, you're pretty good at this stuff. And so I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, I got to finish grad school. I graduated in, what was it, 2000, late 2007. And then right, that was right when we had the, the you know, in the 2008, crash. the yeah. crash, and nobody was hiring art professors. Yeah. And you couldn't afford to be an art, you know, an artist. And and, uh, my wife and I, we wanted to live in the Bay Area. And so being an artist and living in the Bay Area, you can't afford to live in the Bay Area. It's a tough road to hoe, yeah. Yeah, and so um, then all of a sudden I was like, all right, well, maybe I should look into this rigging shop thing and see what that's about. And so I came down to the Bay Area and uh, stuck my head in there. And and they are like, yeah, we'd love to have you. And uh, and so, and and all at the same time, we, my wife and I, uh, we bought a condo up here in Oakland, and um, and then I started working at the West Marine as apprenticing at the rig shop, And, and, you know, within the first year, I was like, I absolutely love this, this is, you know, I'm finally getting paid to do what I love to do. Before I started college, I knew that I wanted to be like a professional sailor. I was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna be a professional sailor. I'm gonna be in the America's Cup. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that." Mm-hmm. And I had an opportunity to right before I my first week of college, I got invited to hang out with the America One team here in in San Francisco, and I got this invite to stay on. And I was just like, "Oh my God!" You know, an America's Cup team just wants me to to help them out. And I ran this by my dad. My dad's like, "Hey, you know, it's an awesome opportunity, but..." So it's college. You worked really hard to get there, you know. You can always get yourself a degree, and uh, and you can always go back to that, you know. At least you've got a degree to fall back on. And I was like, and that's the best advice ever, because I got a lot out of college, and then turns out, you know, come back to being, you know, in the industry and happier for it. That's you know. awesome.
0: And how long did you work at the West Marine rigging shop?
1: I worked there for just under ten years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I knew pretty early on um, when I was there. I was like, I'd love to have my own business, hmm. but I, you know, there's so much about boats that you need to know. Yeah, you know, you don't want to just go out there and um, you know start your own business without having the knowledge. And so the you
0: had that idea in the back of your head. You've yeah, I always
1: had that idea yeah. that I wanted to start my own business and, and hopefully in the rigging world. But how did you know the moment was right after um, ten years? Well, I'd, I had, I... Because that's got to be a, a scary jump to make. It, it was a very, it was, yeah, it was a very scary jump to make because I was very comfortable working for West Marine Rigging and I had very good, uh, my bosses were awesome, very supportive, and it was a great part of the company to work for. Yeah. But I had been doing it for so long I like challenges Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it was, it was no longer being challenging for me. you know, I had a team of six guys working for me and, you know, we're doing all kinds of projects and that was great. But I was like, this just isn't a, you know, it's the same old, same old every day. And there was no longer a career path for me. You know, some things were getting restructured there at the company. And I kind of saw that. I was like, this is my opportunity. I feel like I've gained enough knowledge to where I could go out on my own. And you know, and then I run it by my wife, and she's like, "Yeah, you've been dreaming about this for years, do it you know, and we just had our second just had our second kid, yeah, and so it's kind of like, all right, so I'm gonna leave my job and start my own business with a you know a newborn and uh what was he a four or five year old and uh and it was, or three year old and uh, it's like, this is a lot and uh, but it was a challenge, and I was very up for it and I um Talk about, about a little bit about the stress of getting this off the ground. I mean, that's, I mean,
0: you got a lot on your shoulders there.
1: Yeah. I had a lot of support, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff to, to get figured. I mean, getting a business license, you know, filling out the paperwork. That's, that's the easy part. It's the, the relationships that you have to build with your vendors Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then obviously the relationship with your customers and, and, um, i'm very appreciative of what west marine rigging did for me and all the training they gave to me and and the mentors that i had there and so i didn't want to burn any bridges so i i made sure that i didn't be like i didn't take my role at Exa customers with me Mm -hmm. you know um, yeah if they found me if they found my business then that's then that's on them you know um but uh um you know the sailing community is really small and i didn't want to burn any bridges with anybody right and uh, but I was I was lucky to have um, some vendors that believed in me, um, and they were supportive of me starting my own business. And, and you've got to have good relationships with these with these vendors if you're going to make it as a small company. You know, because I'm competing against the West Marine, the Svensons, the KKMI's. Right. They might not see it that way, but but I definitely see them as my competition. Um, so luckily, I had some good support from rope vendors and wire vendors and hardware vendors that I was like, all right, well, I've got this relationship. I can make this happen. And then it was just a matter of just planning and just making sure that, that I covered all my bases. And and then there was also like, okay, well, we live in a little two bedroom condo in the Oakland Hills. How can I run a rig shop out of that?
0: Mm, The logistics of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. How did you? Well, so, uh, there's a two-part thing to this. There's uh, another part of my life is that my parents and I had a powerboat. Okay. So, a so 36. Another foot, boat. Yeah, another the boat. Yeah. <laughs> so, long story short, but uh, my dad and I restored our 1961 Trojan um, all-wood powerboat. So it's like wow. a Chris Craft. Um, but, um, it's a little bit of work. Yeah. So we kind of, you know, we bought this thing to do some salmon fishing in the Delta and just kind of have a little vacation place in the, in the Delta. And, uh, and then, you know, one day while we're fishing, my dad started picking away at the paint and we're going like, Oh my God, there's beautiful varnished mahogany under here. And then that's better. I thought you were going to say, Oh my God, there's rot under here. No, no. We were very fortunate there, yeah. but it turned into, well, we're going to restore this thing. And it turned mm-hmm. into like a, you know, almost a year project of restoring this thing. And uh, and so we restored this. And unfortunately, it was before I worked for West Marine, uh-huh. before I got the sweet. <laughs> before suite, you got the discounts. Before I got the discounts. I started working there like right at the end, you know, and I was buying the, you know, the cans of varnish and like for, you know, almost 50% off at that time. We had a really good discount. And my dad was like, you should have worked here two years ago, you know, and like, uh, but uh, yeah. So we restored this thing, had this, Beautiful boat, and then uh, we had kids, and we weren't spending time on the boat, and so we finally decided to sell the family boat. And so part of the profits from selling the boat, or profits if you call it profits, but my parents gave me a chunk of the change Mm -hmm. to port towards my business, and so and I took that money and I built a rig shop in a six foot by twelve foot constructed by contractors trailer, and so and
0: and you could pull this thing around
1: yeah i could pull this thing around with my truck i with west marine rigging they sent me around the country a lot to help them set up other rig shops they have nine rig shops across the country wow that's
0: great experience so yeah so they they they
1: send me around and you know and i at least get a tour of the other rig shops and stuff and so and and i love sticking my head in other people's rig shops and 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 so i've had this idea this dream of like all right, this is what you need to have. This is how to make the most efficient as possible. And so I went from working West Marine Rigging where we had two 60-foot workbenches and 300-and-something spools of rope, you know, did this little 6-foot by 12-foot yeah. shop. But, uh, you know, I made it as efficient as possible. And it was just like um, kitting out a, a small boat. I mean, I put in a bank of batteries, solar panels, welded up my own roof rack with the solar panels and so that I could put mass and a laser on the roof i mean it was kind of like what you see in here but right. it was compact i mean you know i had 10 or 12 spools of rope uh-huh. i didn't have the swaging equipment at the time but uh-huh. uh, i had you know the drill press i had you know sanders i had i could run everything off the inverter and i could pull into the marinas and it was very efficient and that you know i could go right to the boat and how far afield would you go? Was it
0: Bay Area? So, or yeah,
1: so I stick to the Bay Area. Yeah. So, so I'd service the Peninsula, Sausalito, and then all of the East Bay. How much traveling work do you do nowadays now that you have the permanent trailer here? Permanent so, yeah, so now that I'm here, I, I'm out about two days a week, and then the rest I'm here in the shop um, because, you know, I want to take care of my, my mobile rigging clients because um, that's a, a niche out there that, You know, it works really well in this in in our world here in the Bay Area, and that's how I was able to justify my starting the company. Because, you know, a lot of people these days in the Bay Area is that we're so focused on working. You're working hard all week, and then you don't want to go and work on your boat on the weekend. You want to go sailing. You know, so now customer emails me, calls me, and I make it happen so they can go sailing that weekend. That's what's worked. But I'm a one-man band. Yeah. For the most part, um, yeah. except now that uh, recently, um, my most recent employee is actually uh, Mitch Andres from. Uh, oh,
0: great! Yeah,
1: from QM Travel. Yeah, from QM Travels. Yeah, who's been on the show. Yeah, yeah, and uh, um, so so yeah, so you know, Mitch asked me for uh, you know a job, an apprenticeship, and so he's been working for me for a couple months and a couple days a week, and and uh, so it's great because he knows what he's he's doing from taking care of the OCS sea fleet and then obviously his boating experience. And, uh, and so it was like, it was a no brainer. It's like the two of us. And when he's here, we are, I'm super efficient by myself, but when Mitch is here, it's, it's, that's two of us running around and like, let's pull that mast, Let's build that. Let's do that. And so it's, it's great having him. Yeah. But otherwise I'm a one man band when Mitch is in here. And so.
0: Are you hauling yourself up masts? Then? Yeah.
1: I, I haul myself How, up masts the logistics the physics of that how do you go yeah so uh, um i get asked this a lot because there's a lot of you know for the cruising world like customers are like oh i want to be able to climb my mast yeah and uh on my own and so what i use is a it's a four to one block and tackle okay i've got a double ratchets at the bottom you know you can pull pull yourself up and uh and the ratchet if you let go of the line Mm -hmm. you'll come to a slow stop okay and so and I pull that block and tackle up with uh, the customer's existing halyard, as long as I deem that that halyard is safe. You uh, pull the block and tackle up
0: to the top of the mast, extending the bottom, like keeping the block down yeah. at the deck, and then you winch yourself up.
1: And, and then you pull yourself up, yeah. yeah and sense. then it's, so it's super simple. That's what all the professional riggers around here, that's what we all do. Yeah. And it just said super, super efficient, and, uh, to, you know, it's a – it's not a crazy workout, but I can yeah. definitely notice if I had like that two pound burrito at lunch <laughs> that was maybe a bad idea, so I you know it keeps me in shape and i you know i've I climb a lot of mass all year long I mean, yeah, if I'm not here in the shop, I'm usually up in the air. <laughs> So <laughs>
0: you, we were talking before we started the interview. You said people come looking for you, and
1: they yeah, well, <laughs> they haven't seen you. Dan. Yeah, <laughs> and I tell them, I'm like, I, you know, I've been up five or you know, four or five masts already today, and they, like, oh yeah, whatever. I'm like, no, really, you know. <laughs> so I climb a lot of masts, and I get to see a lot of tops of masts. How much of your rigging work is um, mast still up
0: versus mast?
1: Well, yeah. It's about fifty-fifty. Yeah. Okay. You know, I've gotten a little bit older, and you know, owning your own company, you got to be even more, I'm not safe, you know, I'm obviously very safe, but, you know, you got to start thinking about, like, maybe we're not going to swap out that shroud um, at the dock. We should pull the mast. Whereas in the past, I'd be like, all right, I can do five or six trips up the mast to replace one shroud. You know, but now I'm like, God, that's going to, you know, that's a lot of energy (laughs) spent doing that where I'd rather... You know the the safer, the actually the the cheaper <laughs> method is to pull the mast. Wisdom, some call
0: it. Yeah, wisdom. <laughs> yeah. So
1: I've gotten the you know, you know, in the earlier days I'd you know I'd be uh, up and down the mast all day long, and yeah. no big deal. And like now I'm like, all right, let's be more efficient. Right. Big uh, amount of my work, or a large amount of my work, comes from doing rig inspections. So for insurance reasons, sure. um, I do that, or just for you know an annual rig inspection of your boat is a good idea especially like, you know, if your boat's been sitting all winter long, it's good to have a fresh set of eyes to go up the rig and, uh, and just check everything out to make sure that it's all good.
0: That comment makes me think of an article I was just reading in, in the February Latitude 38 about a chain plate that gave way. How much of the work is repairing catastrophic failure versus just, a, just regular maintenance?
1: So when I do these rig inspections, I'm doing uh, like a visual inspection. I do a lot of rig inspections. I, I meant to to tally it up but um i do i inspect all of um trade winds um charter fleet so that's 40 something boats yeah um i do all of club nautique's rig inspections and now i'm doing ocses and then i also do sail times fleet wow so those are charter fleets and so for those of you guys who know, charter boats. It's much like a rental car. Yeah, they get used. They get used, and they're you know they're not like your boat that you know that that's privately owned and you use it. You know the six seven days a year that most people use their boats. Like those boats go out every single day, just about. And so I get to see a lot of stuff um, that you wouldn't see for you know <laughs> you won't normally see. And so um, so catastrophic it, it happens. I probably get about a half dozen a year where I, you know, I go up to do, I get the customer. And it's like, oh, I just need my Windex changed. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I go up to to go put a new Windex on or a new VHF, something simple. And then I go up there and I have seen where the head stays got two or three strands left. And I go, holy Yikes. cow. And I'm up here. And I'm up here. Yeah. yeah. Um. I. You know. I've got, I can show you, I've got my kind of wall of shame over here of things that I've, <laughs> that I've found. Like halyard wraps is a common thing. I like to give talks about rigging and kind of advising people. And uh, like one of the things that I always joke around is uh, don't grind it out. So if you've got, you know, if there's any kind of issue with your furler and you're like, oh, maybe I just need to take it to a winch. I'm not pulling hard enough. Don't yeah. ever take it to a winch. That never, that never works out. It keeps me employed. Right. Yeah. I joke that powered winches and in-mass furlers keep me employed. Those are my, like, two things that, like, you know, the customer's like, oh, well, I'm having issues with my furler and the outhaul broke. And i are like, yeah, if your outhaul broke, you were doing something wrong. and So can you just replace the outhaul? And I get down there and realize that there's a whole chain reaction of things that have happened, and it's because of that powered winch or – there's a lot of buddies out there that I owe a lot of beers to everybody's got that buddy you know I get the oh my buddy you know I told him to to furl the jib in and and <laughs> and I didn't tell him to stop and i, t- I forgot to tell my buddy to stop and <laughs> yeah and the you know and the head stay broke you know or i, I it's a, like a weekly call it's like oh my buddy said something <laughs> fell from the top of the mast, or, yeah. or uh, my buddy heard a noise and and you know so i I get a lot of those those calls and I
0: have to uh sheepishly admit that i've been one of those buddies who's cranked on a winch and then said oh shit
1: (laughs) yeah yeah no it's yeah winches are yeah i mean there's a reason why they're on boats it's a great invention but gosh i say when in doubt grind it out you don't ever do that yeah you just always you got to just stop and just kind of look at what everything's attached to and just kind of you know you got to take the look up and go okay maybe that's what it could be so I see between all those boats that I, I inspect, and then I also do a lot of private inspections. I get to see a lot of—I don't say cool stuff, but I kind of geek out on it. And I go, "Oh man, look at that!" Yeah. You know, I'm always—you uh, know—throughout the year on my Facebook page, I like to post, do posts of the—you know—this month's carnage that I that I've seen. You know, That's so great. whether it's a, a cracked turnbuckle, or or you know, I climbed to the top of a mast and there's a clevis pin just hanging by a thread. And I, you know, it goes from like, well, I've got to hold this clevis pin in by hand, and with the other hand, use my cell phone to call somebody to pull a halyard forward so that I can safely get back down and keep the mast up. You know, so wow, it's a weekly thing, and I, and I, and I still am. You know, it's the great thing about this job, is it's something different every day. Yeah, you know, it's not like you know, a customer goes, oh, well, I'm just bringing my Catalina 30, and then it's a Catalina 30, just like any other Catalina 30s, and I, you know. Thing shows up and I'm like, "Whoa! How did you do that? Like, that's that shouldn't be possible." Like, I just was grinding on the winch and it happened. You know, it's like, "Oh my god!"
0: Well, that's a good segue. You mentioned your Facebook page where you post pictures. How do people find you on Facebook and how do people find you online in general?
1: So yeah, so my website is roguerigging dot com. So it's okay. R O. Sorry yeah yeah r-o-g-u-e i'm looking at your hat yeah okay (laughs) r-o-g-u-e rigging so r-i-g-g-i-n-g rogue rigging.com um or at facebook you can do the um, facebook.com backslash rogue rigging Uh, but on my website on the front page is my facebook and instagram feed so and i i i i'm addicted to posting pictures of boats um, of my projects or my orange boat as i call it but uh um, so there's always stuff that are popping up or videos of me swaging or splicing or something, so I'm always updating and, and doing stuff with that. Nice. Well, thank you so
0: much. This has been awesome to talk to you about your work, about your background, and uh, get to know you a little bit.
1: Yeah, thank you. It's been great. That wraps up this week's show. Thanks again for listening.
0: Do send me a message and say hi at out the gate Sailing at gmail.com. I'm Ben Shaw, host and producer of the show. Until next week, smooth sailing.